This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. When multinational companies want to tap into the massive pent-up consumer demand in emerging markets, the first countries that they usually think of are China and India. But what about Africa? asks Vijay Mahajan, author of Africa Rising, How 900 Million Consumers Offer More Than You Think. Though often overlooked in global corporate growth strategies, Africa as a whole has enough consumer power to give China and India a run for their money, he argues. Mahajan, a marketing professor at the University of Texas in Austin and co-author of an earlier book titled The 86% Solution, How to Succeed in the Biggest Marketing Opportunity of the 21st Century, talked with Knowledge at Wharton about Africa Rising. Our guest today is Vijay Mahajan, uh, author of Africa Rising. Uh, Vijay, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mukul. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, could you tell our listeners what is the market opportunity that Africa offers and why do so many companies tend to overlook it? Well, I think that, uh, this is a very important question you asked me and that basically is the, the heart of uh, the book Africa Rising. And uh, first, uh, the, the, let me point out three things there. First is that uh, most of us, I mean, including myself, I did not realize until I really got into this book that the population... Uh, of Africa, about 950 million, is very comparable to the population of India. And if you look at the growth rate, uh, the population growth rate, uh, in few years it may be equal to the population of even China. So, so that's one really the, the interesting thing that occurred to me from the market opportunity point of view, that the, 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 the population size are very comparable with the China and India. Now, the next question now there is that in terms of market opportunity, uh, the, the, are there consumers there, like India and China, uh, who would have the, the money or the resources, if you will, uh, the, to, to really buy some of the products, like India and China? And the fact of the matter there is that when I looked at all the data, what I discovered there is that uh, the, the GDP of uh, this 950 million people, if it was United States of Africa, actually is more than uh, India. In fact, uh, the, the Africa uh, across the 53 countries actually the, would be the 10th largest economy in the world, one notch above India. And when you compare that with the BRIC countries like Brazil, Russia, India, and China, their economy actually is bigger than three of them. It's bigger than India, bigger than Russia, and bigger than India. And the GDP per capita actually is more than $200 uh, more than uh, India. So in terms of market opportunity, some of this uh, micro-level data that I saw, uh, I was quite intrigued, and that actually pushed me to really go and uh, visit many of these countries in the last three, four years, talk to many of these, uh, do a lot of market visits, talk to many of the multinationals, and at the end of the day, I was totally convinced that uh, the market opportunities in Africa uh, for all kinds of products are very similar to the market opportunity that you will see in a place like India. And your second question, why this has been, a second part of the question, why this has been ignored, that's also really puzzled me. And uh, I mean, once you leave uh, South Africa and uh, you reach uh, the North Africa, I was very surprised actually that, uh, you know, the, the, that many of the, the companies from uh, the US and uh, Western Europe, uh, they were not simply there. I mean, I did find Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola has been there more than 90 years. 
And one of the, the companies that really helped me throughout the continent was Unilever, so they have also the present. So it's not, it's not there. It's just that I did not find uh, the same number uh, of the company that I, I, I had seen for my previous book, 86% Solution Book in India and China and other countries. But I think the fact that they see now uh, that uh, how well the Chinese and the Indian companies are doing, so that has also created awareness. Other thing here is, uh, as you know, Mukul, here we get nothing but uh, you know, bad news about Africa on media. In fact, when I, when I was doing these interviews, they kept on referring to, you know, the CNN Africa. This is not to demean CNN that, you know, how bad the Africa is portrayed in the, in the media here. This is the CEOs were telling me, and they were so happy that uh, first time a professor from America had come who was interested in, you know, really learning about what they were doing. So I think it could be a combination of factors, but, you know, 15, 16 years ago, when I started on my the previous book, 86% Solution book, I mean, I used to hear the same stories from the many of the, the entrepreneurs in India also. So I think it's just a matter of time, I think. Right. Now, uh, as, as you said, Africa is clearly a market of 900 million consumers, but it's obviously not a monolithic market. Uh, could you explain a little bit about how the African market is structured across the different countries? And absolutely, absolutely. I think the, the, the African market actually is not any different from any developing countries. And so what, what in the book you would find it is that uh, after speaking with a lot of these advertising agencies and multinationals and the local entrepreneurs, essentially what you find it is that uh, there are three major groups that you'll find in Africa, uh, what I call in the book Africa 1, Africa 2, and Africa 3. And in fact, uh, the, this, uh, the terminology actually I have stolen from uh, one of the Indian entrepreneurs uh, that you'll also find in, in, uh, in, the, in the book itself one of the retailing entrepreneurs who also uses this actually to describe. And when I saw that, I said, let me see what's going on in Africa. So what happened there is that you got one segment in Africa 1 where the, after speaking with a lot of these guys, people there, which is anywhere from 5% to 15% of the population uh, on the continent. And, of course, the percentage varies from country to country. But these are the people, Mukul, they could be anywhere. I mean, these are the people... Uh, they may be the you know government senior government officials. They could be expat. Uh, the, they could be uh, the, the 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 people who are working for major NGOs. Uh, people are working for the major banks, and they could be living every place, a- any place in the world. I mean, the children have access to better uh, better of everything. So that segment was not that in the beginning. That segment was not that interesting to me. The segment that really became very interesting to me was what I call Africa too. These are the people who are neither poor not rich. Uh, they are your average people who are living from month to month. They may have some savings. And uh, so you can guess these are the people who are civil servants. These are the people who are nurses, hardworking nurses, hardworking teachers. Uh, these are the people who work in the hospitality industry, uh, which also, again, I was surprised that the hospitality industry actually has, a, in Africa, the highest growth rate anywhere in the world. Uh, so, you know, the people who are working for the safari industry, people who are working uh, for example, in the North Africa, when you know the, the, the South Africa, and it, all, all kind of hospitality industry. So this segment, interesting enough, has very high aspirations. Uh, these are the people who actually see Africa going someplace. They are positive. They want to give the best to their children. Uh, so this Africa too. So a lot of the book I do talk about is Africa too. That how this is creating opportunities. And the interesting thing that happened there is that when I looked at the size of this, 
which is anywhere from 35% to 50%. And uh, so you look at uh, these 350 million to 500 million people, and you divide that by average size of the family, about five. Like in the U.S., it's about three. In India, they're typically divided by four. And when you divide that by five, you get the size of the, the households anywhere from 60 million to 100 million. And interesting enough, that's exactly the size of the quote-unquote that people talk about in India for the middle class. So there is a very viable Africa, too, uh, in, uh, in Africa, which, uh, in my opinion, that's what I argue in the book, which I think is really going to drive the economy uh, and the consumer markets in Africa. Now, Africa, three, just like any other developing country, uh, you know, is the one that uh, uh, the, the is struggling. Uh, these are the stories that you typically see. Uh, but, you know, that number is not any different from any of the developing countries. Also keep in mind, like, you know, the 700 million people in India don't have access to a toilet. Uh, 750 million people in China don't have ac access to a toilet. So this, even Africa 3, interesting thing I discovered there is that uh, many of them actually work for Africa 2 and Africa 3, Africa 1. Like, you know, it could be your maids, could be the, the people who are helping you in cleaning the houses. And even they are become, they also have aspiration. They may, may not be able to afford, uh, but they also have aspiration to actually someday be like Africa too. So on the continent, then I think once you do this segmentation, uh, you find some amazing things which are going on. Uh, not everybody uh, by Mercedes-Benz, but trust me, there are a lot of people. In fact, one person even joked with me that there are probably more Mercedes-Benz sold in Africa than they are sold in India. Uh, you do find people uh, who, you know, they need a bicycle. Uh, uh, the sachet marketing is very popular. So there, there are a lot of very interesting things that you will see in the book that I have compared even with India and China. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in, in fact, one of the things I found very interesting about the book is the examples you give of uh, innovative local African firms that have identified interesting opportunities uh, around the market, emerging market in Africa. And I was wondering if you could tell us about some of those companies. Sure. The, I mean, there are several examples in the book. The, of course, the mobile industry probably, you know, the many of the people, listeners probably would have heard about them. Uh, mobile industry has one of the highest growth rate in Africa, uh, you know, the, the, the Celtel and others. But other examples that I can give you here, uh, is a remarkable company I met in uh, Kenya called Mabati. And uh, Mabati actually is the word that you use for, uh, for example, for the sheets, you know, the, the sheets that you will put in uh, when you are building your small house. So this is a remarkable company. You know, keep in mind that people in Africa 2 and Africa 3, one of the major things they would like to have there is really, you know, the, when they have saved some money, they would like to build a home. And uh, so they build one room at a time, uh, may take a long time, but they do need a roof and uh, they need the sheet. So this Mabati company actually has found a very interesting market. And many times you will see these people actually carrying that sheet in a, in a, in a public uh, transport uh, or on the top of the roof of a taxi or on the top of the, uh, on the two bicycles. So it was very interesting for me to see actually how somebody was trying to meet the needs of uh, these people. Now, other thing that you would see there is that the banking industry is flourishing, especially the microfinancing, and there are a lot of uh, local people who are actually playing a major role, including some multinational. Uh, Barclays Bank is uh, the, uh, they did one of the biggest acquisitions of uh, Abasa, and they are actually very aggressive now in providing the, 
you know, the, the banking, even in the areas where uh, people have no access, and a lot of that is being done through the mobile technology. Now, one of the fascinating stories that I saw there is that the Chinese and Indian companies, so when you go into even some of the high-density areas, uh, you know, that would be like, for example, the poor neighborhoods, uh, even in places like Zimbabwe, outside Harare, I went there, and what you find there is that uh, for the first time, these people have access to the product they never had, uh, you know, the television and uh, the, the, the DVDs and the, uh, the, you know, they may not be the same quality that you and I would buy in the United States, but the fact of the matter there is that these people are actually able to buy those for $35, $40. Consequently, you also see there is that uh, the, there is an amazing uh, the, the penetration of satellites uh, some of them, a lot of them may be illegal. People, the connection people have there are illegal throughout the continent. But the, the satellite technology, the, 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 I mean, the, the, the TV stations are just all over the place. Uh, the, you would see amazing uh, the, the movie industry. For example, from Nigeria, Nollywood, uh, which was very learning experience for me, actually in terms of the numbers, make, makes more uh, movies. Uh, then, uh, uh, then uh, the Bollywood in India and Hollywood here, uh, the quality, of course, you know, is questionable. Uh, many of these countries don't have any movie halls, so uh, the, uh, every Nollywood movie actually is available only on uh, on the tape, DVD, not even DVD, CD. And of course, there are satellite. You know, there are actually the satellite channels you know, that actually show nothing but uh, these uh, Nigerian movies. Uh, so. I think uh, the cosmetic industry I saw, cosmetic industry, keep in mind that, you know, the, the women uh, in, uh, here are not any different from the women there. They need to uh, uh, the shampoo their hair. So a lot of the products that you see there, some of the multinationals may not make those products for the, you know, this, uh, the African hair, but the local entrepreneurs make that. You also see there the many of them actually don't uh, the wash at home, so they go to salons. So many entrepreneurial places that you will see where they actually have created these salons. And then on the top of that, you will see probably one of the biggest markets for the used products, country after country. I saw that. And the used products, you know, the, the next time uh, when one of us throws our mobile phones away, I mean, uh, the, we probably never, when we change our mobile, actually every two years or every three years, we don't even ask the question where does the mobile goes. And those mobiles, actually the used mobiles from Europe and uh, here, are all going to Africa. And Very so you will see many of these people who actually buy this used mobile, uh, they don't have a subscription like we will have. So they buy this, uh, the, the prepaid cards, and sometimes they don't have the money, so they won't buy that, but their incoming calls are free. So in the hospitality industry, if you want to work as a driver, they all have a mobile phone, uh, but the incoming calls are free. So they are, they'll tell the guests, you know, I can't call you, but you call me. So amazing consumer behavior things that you will see there uh, in the book, example after example, how the local entrepreneurs are actually going after these markets. That, that's really interesting. Uh, you referred to Coca-Cola and uh, Unilever and Barclays. Uh, could you speak a little bit about the strategies that uh, multinationals are adopting in Africa uh, to, to uh, serve the underserved markets there? Well, I think that one of the things that, the, I mean, I have seen this in other d developing countries also, but uh, it was very interesting for me to see how the a predominance of that uh, on the continent, which is the lowest coinage strategy. So that is when you design a product, you have to really look at the, what is the lowest coin, coin which is available. And so, for example, the lowest coin, for example, like let's say uh, 
uh, is only five cents or only one cent or is equal to ten cents or whatever the local currency is in different countries. Uh, the the so the they they would design the packaging so it's a lowest coin strategy. Example of that would be that you'll see in the book, you know the the in the, from Nigeria for example, and I have from the other countries also. Nigeria, for example, I saw the local entrepreneurs, you know, when you and I will buy a bottle of water here and we pay whatever we need to pay depending upon where we buy it, sometimes $1, sometimes airports, we might be even paying higher. But the, the, and you would find those bottled water there also from some of the multinationals there like Nestle and others. But the local entrepreneurs actually have developed a product which they sell at the lowest coinage, which is the 5 Naira. No, but they won't sell you the water like what you'll see here. And many times it may not be filtered water. It may be the tap water, but they sell in a small plastic bags. No question is who's buying that. So keep in mind that many of these people, even if they are standing in front of a mosque and, uh, uh, or a church or a temple and, uh, you know, asking for people to give them the money, uh, and they can't stand there for a whole day. I mean, given the weather, they would also feel thirsty. So some entrepreneurs figure out that why not, why not I sell water to these people, and they sell the water to these people at the lowest currency. So I saw predominant of that. Uh, the packaging did not the, the, the also surprise me because one of the most important things that they have there is the packaging. Uh, so many of these companies actually, uh, because some years ago the, the other, other avenues to advertise were not available, and no, of course, they are available. So the colors and the packaging is very important. No other thing keep in mind there is that Africa has the youngest population. So uh, uh, like the 41% of the population of uh, Africa is less than 15 years old. And that compares uh, to about 30% in India. Interesting. So Africa is the youngest continent. So the, the, the youth look is very important uh, because, the, the, because of the young population. So the use of the sports is very predominant. Uh, the, 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 the use of the music actually is very predominant. And then interesting enough, other thing I noticed there is that even the religion, use of the religion is also very important. And although they openly may not say that, but uh, in many of these countries, for example, even the death is a celebration. And many people would save money actually to, you know, when somebody dies. And so you can imagine when the whole community comes in, uh, so you will have to serve them some products, and so the companies also find a way to actually put in their uh, the products there for those ceremonies. So, so the the so, so you will find many interesting examples from these companies. Then, of course, other most important thing there is that uh, this is what I call in the book Ubuntu market that goes for Coke. You mentioned Coke and Unilever both, and all the local companies and other multinationals. The reason I call them Ubuntu market there is. Uh, and this is the word that we were really looking for to describe this market, why they're so different, is that Ubuntu, actually the Zulu word, which actually I have stolen from uh, uh, Bishop Tutu because he used this all the time, that you, uh, the I am because you are, and he used to describe in the context of the harmony that's needed, the peace that is needing. So I kind of try to give it a, the, the business twist, meaning that a company cannot exist unless they take care of their employees and they take care of their customers. So what you see there is that the many of these companies, for example, Coca-Cola, uh, since they've been there for 90 plus years, so they have you know the distribution almost every nook and corner. Some places they are going on buses, some places they are going on donkeys, and some places they are going the paddlers are going, and some places they're going on bicycles. So since they have a such an important business asset, so why not use that asset to actually distribute condoms? 
So they are working with some of the NGOs like Population Services International from Washington, D.C., and they actually are delivering, uh, helping them to delivering those uh, those condoms actually to the areas where, you know, the, they may not be able to go. Uh, Unilever, for example, has gotten involved in HIA initiatives that I saw uh, in the Southern Africa, where actually they they very different from uh, other initiatives where they have focused on the children, uh, 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 children of the families, orphans of the families where both the parents have died because of the, the AIDS. And uh, they actually recruit adopted mothers, and these adopted mothers, the surrogate mothers, actually are raising these children. And uh, so you will see interesting stories of many of these companies, how they are actually, and by the way, they're profitable. When you look at the, in the Coca-Cola was very kind to give me their entire uh, uh, the growth data, and you will see that the, how in a continent they have, they have a very, very amazing steady growth. So, so what you see there is that they're really understanding these consumers, which, you know, basic marketing 101, but they, they, they know that they have to do more than there uh, on this continent, given the, the, the spectrum of the consumer they have to deal with. One very interesting thing I saw is the aspiration. So many times these kids will buy a Coca-Cola, it's inexpensive, but they put that right on the middle of the table so everybody can see it, and they have five glasses to share that Coca-Cola. Right. They don't want to compromise on the quality, uh, but uh, the, it's an aspiration product, so they want to make sure that they share it. So aspiration also is a very important element that I saw in many of uh, the, these marketing campaigns. Right. What are some of the major hurdles that you found, political or otherwise, uh, that companies face in uh, course well, of business you know, the, development? The one, yeah, no, that's a very, very important question. The, the one thing that I did there is that I did not talk to any politicians and I did not talk to any chambers uh, because uh, I was... Uh, the, I was staying away from the politicians, and so I figured that the you know the politics is not any different in India and China. Corruption is probably uh, not implying that there's a lot of corruption in India and China, but you know it does exist in many of the developing countries. So despite all those hurdles of the political and the uh, the, the the dealing with the, the you know the local the politics, the governments and the rules and the regulations. Uh, the, at the end of the day, I was trying to see how these people actually uh, are able to really still approach this 950 million plus consumers, how they're serving them. Uh, some of them, creative solution really became very interesting to me. Uh, for example, one of the most interesting companies that I actually really studied was InScore that comes from, uh, of all the places, Zimbabwe. And uh, so they have a chain of uh, the restaurants, some of them they have shut down in Zimbabwe, but they do operate them in other countries, uh, like the products related to chicken and the hamburgers. But interesting thing I discovered about this company was that how they are able to cope up with all this particular turmoil. Uh, in Zimbabwe, uh, you actually create your own foreign exchange. And so if you have the foreign exchange, then you can buy the raw material. So that's not available from the government. So this company was very interesting to me when I visited them in Harare. Uh, they have, in order to uh, actually the, the raise a foreign exchange mukul, they have known the largest crocodile farm in the world. And uh, which, I mean, I, I would say, I said, you know, you guys are making bread here that you serve it to the poor people. You know, you have the restaurants and you also have a distribution, uh, the channel that you, you know, the distrib that your distributors for the products for the multinationals. So why this the crocodile farm? And they also have one of the largest, actually, uh, what you call the, the on Victoria Falls, uh, the what's the name I'm looking for? You know, this is a company that actually helps you to organize your tours on the Victoria Falls. 
uh, you also have one of the largest ones. So why this crocodile farm? Then when they start telling me, I said, oh, my God, how innovative these people are. So what they did is that when they realized that the, you know, because of the political situation, they won't have access to the, the foreign exchange. So when they have this crocodile farm, you can guess the skin, they sell it to the Europeans, and meat, they're selling it to Chinese. And this is how they're bringing in the foreign exchange to actually help rest of their, uh, rest of their uh, the, the units, the division that they have. So I did see creative, uh, in every country, I did see the creative things that these businesses have done to actually really uh, the, 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 you know, manage the, the political situation there. Very interesting. And, and in the, you, you referred to you know, Chinese and Indian examples. And now in both these countries, there is an overseas diaspora that gets quite actively engaged in the development efforts uh, uh, of the homeland. Did you find the same sort of phenomenon in, in Africa as well? You know, I, I did, and as a matter of fact, in the book, I have made a plea to the African diaspora to really uh, get more involved. And uh, one of the, the chapters that you will see there is that actually talks about the diaspora. And uh, yes, diaspora is the, the, the involved in Africa. As a matter of fact, uh, there is an organization in uh, London called Recruit Africa. Uh, they are actually uh, they are really helping uh, to, uh, for the African uh, uh, immigrants in the, uh, the to actually find jobs and find opportunities, so technology is helping there. In the African diaspora, for example, Seltel, Mo Abraham, uh, is part of the diaspora. Uh, he's originally from Mohammed Abraham, is from Sudan, got his education in Alexandria, got his master's and PhD both in England, work, working for the British Telecom, and then uh, uh, decided to go and start his, uh, the mobile company in Kenya. And it's a fascinating story, actually, how he dealt with uh, no electricity, uh, how he pro- provides the customer service to all these rural areas. So the Mo Ibrahim is an example of uh, many of the people from diaspora that who are actually going back and uh, starting, comp- uh, starting companies. Uh, they are starting, for example, one of the very interesting uh, the university in, uh, in Ghana, Aisha University, uh, is started by a Ghanaian who was part of the, the diaspora. Uh, he was with Microsoft and has created a very nice undergraduate university. So... Uh, the person who was the head of the Coca-Cola uh, when, I, when I was finishing the book, uh, Alex Cummings, is part of the diaspora, is from Liberia, came to this country, got his education, and now he's been transferred to uh, chief administrative officer in uh, Atlanta. So uh, I did find this uh, diaspora, and interesting thing there is that the, when I looked at all the estimates uh, through the formal and informal remittances, Africa gets exactly the same amount that India gets, close to about $40 billion each year. So these are the diaspora, and you know somebody has even estimated that the African diaspora is close to 100 million, including African Americans. But the, uh, the, the immigrants uh, who are still connected, like the immigrants from uh, India and China who are still connected with the country, so same connection I found there, and sometimes very innovative. Like one gentleman I interviewed in Houston, uh, so he has given his own ATM card to his mother in Marrakesh. So she uses this ATM card once a month uh, to actually, you know, whatever money the son is sending her. So he does not even have to go through the formal channels. Uh, only thing there is he gets a phone call from his bank there, hey, somebody's using your ATM, and he has to tell them, yeah, yeah, I know. Hmm. And so, you know, but because when as a tourist we go to all these countries, we use ATM, so, so why not give it to your family there and put them on your... the on your account here. So I saw very clever ways that the diaspora is involved in talent, 
in uh, in helping their families to start businesses and uh, the, the the houses I saw there, sometimes helping their family just to survive. And most important thing I saw there is that they're also providing talent. So I saw in many countries where they were actually helping uh, providing ta talent to uh, either for somebody else or starting their own companies or helping somebody else to start companies. Uh, but it's a challenge. I mean, uh, in the book, I really finished that, that, that diaspora can, just like the India and China, diaspora can do a lot in Africa. One final question. Uh, what advice would you give to a company uh, or companies that want to tap the African market opportunity? Well, I think the advice that I'm going to give you is not going to be any different from when people started going to India and China. Uh, the, what advice I saw there in the book there was, which the advice was given to me, uh, one, uh, uh, some very interesting Unilever executives in, uh, in, uh, when I was in, Har <coughs> in Harare, uh, in Zimbabwe. And uh, the thing that told me there is that if you really want to understand Africa, you have to really go on consumer safari. So you have to really, you know, the go and see it, your own eyes there, what's going on. And then the, the one executive in Kenya, Coca-Cola executive, also gave me the same advice. He said, no, you want to understand Africa, you have to walk the market. So, you know, which actually was also criticism, by the way, in a way they were telling me that many of these companies, they manage Africa by having their headquarters in Europe. I mean, how can you have, you know, this will be like somebody trying to manage uh, one billion people consumer market in India, but all the decisions are made in Singapore or in Hong Kong or they are made in Europe. I mean, the, the, if the top management is not there and they don't really understand the market themselves, they don't get involved with the local institutions. So I think the very good advice they gave me was, he said, walk the market. And I think the other thing that has happened there is the, the, the which was the case also with the, the, with the India and China, uh, to my great surprise or my ignorance, actually, when I look at the number of the immigrants to the U.S., interesting enough, the number of the immigrants from Africa is close to 1.1 million, which is very similar, a little bit less than India and a little bit less than, uh, and I'm not talking about my children who are born and raised, and I'm talking about people like myself who are immigrants. And the 1 million, the, the, the immigrants from Africa are highly educated. So just like the, the companies have used, you know, whether they were investment banking companies or they were actually the, the IT companies, just like they have used a diaspora actually to help them to go into those markets, I would really encourage them to really look for that diaspora to really penetrate, penetrate those countries. 10% uh, of the population from North Africa is in Europe now. So when you're talking about 100 million people and 10 million of them are in uh, North Africa and they send a lot of money back home, but there's also a lot of talent there. So, in fact, many of the companies that I met, actually the, these North Africans have been hired by the multinationals to help them to penetrate those markets. And other thing I would suggest there is that don't assume that they are not local entrepreneurs that you can acquire. There are many companies there that local entrepreneurs have started uh, that actually, you know, just like China and India, that you can actually go there. One example I would give you there is that a remarkable supermarket I saw in uh, in East Africa, but based in Kenya, called Nakomat. And so Nakomat, no, just like the U.S. style, but customized for the local population, and they're growing very rapidly. And so it's an amazing supermarket. So for somebody to really, if they want to go into the organized retailing sector, I mean, I would see Nakomat as a very nice candidate that, that they could leverage to actually really penetrate those markets. So I think that situation is not any different from India and China. 
but uh, the, you have to really smell that continent, to be honest with you, to really, uh, to really see what opportunities exist for you. Uh, well, th- this has been very, very interesting. Uh, Vijay, thank you so much for joining us today. Mukul, it's a pleasure, really, and thank you so much. And uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed the book, and thank you so much for this opportunity. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.